This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, hello and welcome back, my friend. And this week, it's going to be a hot one. And yes, this is a pun that is absolutely intended. We're doing dad jokes, starting at it right out of the gate. <laughs> so uh, this week, Dave Albin is my guest. And Dave has been doing firewalking, hosting those for years, going on decades, I guess, at this point, right, Dave? Pretty much. Okay. So if you're like, what the heck is a firewalk? A firewalk, if you think of Tony Robbins and people taking off their shoes and, you know, walking across coals, that is a firewalk. That's what we're talking about. So, yeah, this is going to be an awesome one. Dave, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great, man. What's up, coach? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining me, my friend. Yeah, of course. Well, let's start out. First, I want to congratulate you, man. You, you know, we talked about this 35 years of sobriety. That's huge. Congratulations, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yep. Picked this little bad boy up here on June 8th of this, this last month. And so here we go. You know, very yeah, a long time. It's been a wonderful yeah. ride. That's very cool, man. That That is a, a large accomplishment in my book. So well done. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you know what you need to for long-term sobriety, right? What's that? You don't drink and don't die. <laughs> so. Yeah, those are bad joke inside of AA, right? That's a bad joke inside of AA. The old timers, that's what we say all the time. I don't drink and don't die. And you can have long term sobriety. So there you go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But there's a lot of truth in it. It's, it, it can be dark, but it's true. Yeah. Absolutely. It is. It is definitely true. That's for sure. Oh, man. Well, Dave, let's start out if we could with uh, what does life look like for you today on the professional side of life? Oh, well, man. Great question. Um, well, I'm in that sweet spot in life, man. I, I paid my dues and got things sorted in my life. And, uh, so now I can go where I want and when I want with who I want as often as I want, um, empty nester living up here in the Appalachian mountains in a beautiful cabin, uh, with, you know, mountain spring water coming into the house and mountain air and, you know, a really cool dog, <laughs> a German shepherd out on the porch and, my daughter lives 20 minutes that way with my two grandkids and my son lives 25 minutes that way. And so, yeah, I mean, I got the, I got it all. I got the, I got the best of both worlds right now. So yeah. beautiful place to be in life. Yeah. And I think the amazing thing is being at that spot in light of where things started and the path oh. of getting there. I mean, man, that's like the diametrically opposed, you know, going from the bottom of Mount Everest now being at the top. And so, yeah, and, and we'll unpack that as we go along here. Um, what does life look like for you today on the personal side of life? I know you said like you're, you're close to your, your kids and your grandkids. I mean, what else does that entail? Well, it's both, you know, again, uh, I'm in that, I'm in that place, both professionally and personally, um, where, 
I can, you know, really do what I want. Um, I'm not having to chase anything. I don't, you know, I don't want anything anymore, Mike. You know what I mean? I, I don't, I've got everything I need. I, there's nothing I, I need. And I've had that for quite a while. Uh, you know, I've learned finally, it took a while, <laughs> but I finally learned that you got to live from the inside out and not from the outside in. You know, because we chase this, we chase our tail, man. It's like, well, you know, if I just had, you know, one, that one, if I had that Corvette, I'd be happy. Well, wait, no, no. If I had two Corvettes. And so, you know, when, when you get into the wanting, that can become a hamster wheel, man. And, and once you realize that if you've got your health and you've got your family and you've got a, a, a decent place to live and food on the table, you know, what else could you want? I mean, other than, you know, it's, again, it all comes down to happiness. Am I happy? Absolutely. Um, was it always like that? No, but it certainly has been in my life now for a long time. Business-wise, I can go out and pretty much do whatever I want um, because of the nature of my business and the, the way we do it and how we do it. And for really not having any competition, all I have to do is get myself in front of a a CEO or an entrepreneur, and if they're struggling, right? In other words, they've got dissension and something's breaking down in the company, they got to fix it. And if they don't know how to do it, that's where they find me. They hire me, right? Write a check and boom, I come in and we get things back to order. We get things back to being humanistic. And so it's a very, very powerful process that I have and, um, and it works. And so, you know, honestly, coach, I'm a little lazy, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, you know, I like, I enjoy mountain life. I enjoy the surroundings and, and the clean air and, and I, and, and I'm out in the middle of, you know, kind of nowhere. So yeah, my life is spectacular. Man. There's no doubt about it. So it sounds like with a fire walking, it's almost like, just like you can have team building experiences, right? Where it's elevated, you're up in the air. This is a similar kind of thing where being outside of your comfort zone as a group kind of builds a cohesiveness. Is it that same kind of deal or is it different than like the aerial team building experiences? Um, well, there's, you know, there's something really magical about the fire in and of itself. Um, you know, if we take a step back away from Tony Robbins and the, and the firewalking, the, what he brought into the West, um, the firewalk experience itself has been around over a thousand years. So culturally, if you look at the Phoeticians, uh, the people of India, <clears throat> the people of Portugal, the Spaniards, um, the Polish. Indonesians, the Hawaiians, the Native American Indians, the Indo-Europeans, all of them use the experience to, to get different outcomes. <clears throat> In other words, like the Indo-Europeans, for example, they would do a firewalk every night before the men would go into battle. Um, marriage ceremonies, births, um, you know, so again, it's just used for different reasons. Tony researched it and knew that if he brought it into his seminars, um, he could create massive change on day one. 
of a four-day event and get leverage. <clears throat> because immediately following a flower walk, if you ask yourself, okay, I just walked on coals that are a thousand degrees, what else can I do? Yeah, that kind of that raises the bar really high. It does. It does. It really, really does because it's magical. There's nothing like it. I mean, literally, and I and I say that not only from my own experiences, but I've watched tens, hundreds of thousands of people do that. Because, and, and I'll tell you where you can go watch it. It's real simple. It's real easy. Go Google Oprah and go watch her firewalk, and you'll see it. There's no acting going on. It's real. That was real-time deal there. And before the firewalk, she's losing it. I mean, literally. She's freaking out. And so there's a moment of reckoning, right? The fight or flight is going on. And there's finally where there's a moment where Tony goes, Oprah, what's the worst that can happen? Burn your feet off and die? Come on. I'm not going to let you get hurt. And that's all she needed. That little bit of encouragement. And, and then she, she walks and go watch it. And here's what's really incredible about it. What happens right after the firewalk is she walks and the cameras go with her. And she makes one of the biggest business decisions of her life. Right there on the spot within seconds of firewalking. Because what that experience does right there in that moment is it elevates you instantly. In other words, your self-belief, your self-confidence, your self-worth, boom. Your brain is like, whoop, whoop, whoop. I mean, it's like you're full on. And that's where we should be making decisions from anyway is a peak state. And that's where you are once you get across those goals. Um, and she literally goes over and she, she creates what's called the next chapter. She says it on camera. This is the next chapter. This is the next chapter, people. Because I wasn't planning to do this. I was just thinking, turns around and looks at the fire again, and she's like, you know, we're mammals. We're supposed to run from fire. This is unreasonable, <laughs> she says. And it is. Who's yeah. in their right mind is going to walk on fire? She had the same plan like you had. I'm just going to stand back here out of the way and not do this. I, no, I mean, she was a little, I mean, I wasn't going to do it at all. From the moment I found out there was a firewalk, uh, when my buddy called me and said, hey, Tony's coming to town. You want to go? And I said, yeah, let's go. And he said, great. He said, let me call you back. So he calls me back an hour later, and he goes, done. Um, uh, we pick up the tickets at will call. Here's what they told us to do. Number one, bring snacks. You're going to spend a lot of time in the room. <laughs> what an understatement that is. Um, uh, hydrate. Drink a lot of water. Stay hydrated throughout the entire four-day weekend. Uh, bring a good attitude and be ready to play full out. And I said, Dan, how much was the ticket? Now, this is in 1995, by the way. And he said, $695. I went, $700? Oh, don't you worry. I'll play full out. <laughs> I mean, what's that equate to today? 1995, 700. That's like 7.3 million. I mean, I don't know. It's a, you know, it was a lot of money, right? And so, and then just as he's getting ready to hang up the phone, he goes, oh, wait, I forgot to tell you something. We're going to be doing a firewalk. And I remember thinking, oh, oh no, uh-uh. And this is just going in my head. I'm not saying anything, right? I'm just like, oh, no, that's a hard no for me. I'm not doing that. That's insane. And you know what's funny? Like, I didn't even know what a firewalk was. What's a firewalk? I didn't know what that meant, but I, here's what I knew. Fear was controlling my life big time. 
And so for me, it was forget everything and run. And that's what I did. Just like I'd done, you know, so many other times with so many other things. So fear's a liar. And, it, and, and so it was lying to me then, right? Just like it had been doing my whole life. Yeah, especially um, not even knowing what it is. You're like, uh-uh. no, right? You're saying <laughs> no to something you don't even know. And that's pretty typical. That, you know, because again, you, you, you have to get to a point where you, you control. Because the fears we don't overcome become our limits. And we already know that what doesn't challenge you doesn't change you. It's not going to happen. You're not going to sit in a seminar and sit on your butt and not do anything. And expect something to change. It's not going to happen. It's not the way the brain works. You're going to have to get your happy butt up and do something. Uh, because if you don't, again, there's no change. I mean, Navy what? SEALs don't become Navy SEALs by sitting in a seminar room. Are right? you sure? I thought they just went and petted the SEALs and that's that's how they became. Pet, pet the SEALs and that, that's how you become a SEAL, right? Yield by other association. Than that, other, other than that one you know, night swim when you've got to go swim off the coast of uh, San Onofre. And there's about 30 different species of sharks, including gray whites. And it's pitch black and you can't see anything. Yeah, that that that's definitely one that it's like firewalk, swim with sharks. <laughs> I think I'll take the firewalk. <laughs> I've, I've done both. And I can tell you, we did one in Hawaii. Uh, there's three tiger sharks off the uh, coast of Kona on the big island. And those tiger sharks have been out there forever. At least they were, you know, when I was there a million years ago. And they take you out there and you swim with those tiger sharks. Mm. There's three of them. And, you know, and a tiger truck could be on you just, I mean, bam, hits you like a freight train. <laughs> you wouldn't even see it coming. It would just be a blur. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, swimming with sharks. And, you know, and I served. I grew up in Southern Cal, so I served. So we saw sharks, at least we thought. I mean, the first time I saw a shark, man, I, I learned how to paddle real fast. Um, and then you come to find out it was a dolphin. <laughs> but when you see a dorsal fin for the first time like that, you go, you don't know. Well, you want to do it out of a, here. It's a fin, man. It, it your fin. mind just goes to worst case scenario. <laughs> it it might have been to my advantage to know the difference in the different fins, but I didn't. So, yeah. uh, yeah. Well, let's go back in time a bit here. Uh, sure. kind of threw you three right up on the stage. We didn't you know, go, go from the beginning. Um, so let's start out. I mean, you were, you were four years old, um, you know, and like, that's when you met mom and dad, right. Or we'll say mom and dad, right. Yeah. Cause you so were born think, in Hollywood. Right. Yeah. Born, born, born in Hollywood, born to a single mom. Uh, my dad had committed suicide two months before I was born. Um, something happened to him. We don't know. He hit, he hurt his head. They put a plate in his head to save his life. And he complained about the pain all the time. He turned to mom two months before I was born. and said, I'm going to the grocery store. Never saw or heard from him again. So I'm born. Mom's got two other boys. I'm the third. We're living in a one bedroom apartment, Hollywood, California with my grandmother and another cousin. So there's six of us in a one bedroom apartment. Mom is working at the Roosevelt Hotel as a server, and my mom was Rosie the Riveter. My parents, right, my generation, my parents' generation, I say it all the time, and I'll say it to the day I die. They saved the world, literally. My dad was in Europe fighting the Nazis, and my best friend's dad was in Pearl Harbor fighting the Japanese. 
And while the men were out saving the world, the women were home saving the world as well because they did everything. <clears throat> they built planes. My mom was known as Rosie the Riveter. So she built airplanes. And women did everything, ammunition, weapons, jeeps, you name it, right? They did it all. So mom was, and she came out of the, she lived through the depression. So she was, she knew hard work. She knew scarcity. Uh, and she worked hard. She really did. She just can't make enough money as a server to take care of six people. So when I was five, she did a very loving thing, man. She put me up for adoption. And her sister, my aunt and uncle, adopted me. So they took me from Hollywood to Long Beach. And so now my dad, you know, who's my uncle, but he's my dad to this day, I call him dad. Um, he's a retired, not retired, but he was active military back then. Regular Army and National Guard, highly decorated in World War II. So he was an officer. So, we, you know, we lived, we lived well. We had a nice house, we had nice cars, we took nice vacations. You know, we had everything that any home could really want. Mom was a stay-at-home mom, and mom taught me everything. Taught me how to cook, how to clean, how to do laundry, how to fold laundry, how to iron. I mean, all of it, because she was a professional homemaker and really good at it. So, you know, she was the type, if you're going to hang out in the kitchen, you're going to learn. If you're going to, if you're not going to help me get out. <laughs> okay, mom. So, um, things were great. Um, so I'm at five. Well, to move it forward when I was 11, the first day of summer in 1964, mom says, come in the kitchen. Your dad and I need to talk to you. Well, I'm thinking, cool. They're going to tell us where we're going to go camping. Cause we went everywhere. We went to Lake Arrowhead. We went to big bear. We went to Yosemite. <clears throat> we went all over the place. And so I'm thinking that's what's happening. We sit down at the kitchen table. She puts her hand on my hand. She's got tears in her eyes. And she said, David, we need to tell you something. And what we need to tell you is we're not your parents. Well, what is, what? What do you, that's like saying, walking outside and seeing the sky's blue and somebody's going, the sky's not blue. Well, it looks pretty blue to me. Um, so, you know, how do you process that at 11? You don't. And so she went on to say, by the way, your aunt Dean, uh, that's actually your biological mother. And I, and I remember thinking, I don't even like her, right? And the reason I didn't like her, Coach, was she was always touching me. Every time she was around me, she wanted to be around me. She wanted to hold me and hug me and kiss me. Well, duh, I'm her son. But I didn't know that at the time, right? <clears throat> and I want to be clear, she never touched me inappropriately. It was always in a very loving way. Bless her heart. I get it. She's wanting to love you like a mother. Yes. You're not understanding that she's your mother. So it doesn't make sense because you don't have all the, the, the information there to make the equation. I had no clue. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you, you nailed it right there. And so that's the first day of summer. Well, shortly after that, uh, they had sworn off alcohol when they adopted me, by the way, at five years old. Shortly after they told me this, they both stopped, dr started drinking and kaboom, my life went <clears throat> hard right turn. And when Bob drank, ooh, he was vicious. He was not a nice human. So this wonderful, great guy, my dad, you know, turned into this just horrible guy. Now, Pat, you know, she was drinking, I think, more to keep up with Bob. And she wasn't, she wasn't a mean drunk. Bob was. 
And so they went to the store one day. You know, they, they did that back in the 60s, right? You can leave your kids home, but the door's unlocked. I mean, <clears throat> in fact, my mom would just call across the street to the neighbor and say, hey, Joanne, it's uh, Pat. Hey, we're leaving. Bob and I are going to the grocery store. David's home. If he needs you, he can just come over and say hello. Are you guys home? Yeah, he's fine. Tell him to come over. We'll make him a fried bologna sandwich. So they left. Different generation. The yeah, that's our generation, right? <laughs> yeah, we drank out of garden hoses. Why? Because we didn't want to be in the house. There was no reason to be in the house. If you were in the house, it was two things. One, you were being punished. Two, you were doing homework. Other than that, there was no reason to be inside. We didn't have computers. We had a black and white television. <laughs> so everything we wanted to do was outside and was physical. Um, so they go to the store. Well, <clears throat> I know where the booze is because they're hiding it in plain sight. So I go over the cabinet. I open it up. I, I pull it out. I set it up on the table. It's a half gallon of brandy. I poured it in a coffee cup, about half full. Boom. Nastiest taste of stuff you ever wanted to taste. But when that alcohol got in my body, Mike, it was like rocket fuel. I just blew up, man. Uh, I, it was exhilarating kind of a thing. And so I believe literally I never had a chance. I was an alcoholic on the spot at 11 years old because I started to think alcoholically, <clears throat> get more, get more, find it, hide it. You know, all the things that you have to do at 11 years old. Well, that just progressed. And, you know, you got, I got into hard drugs and, and that progressed. And by the time I became a junior in high school, uh, that first month of 11th grade, they brought me in the principal's office and said, you're out. Okay. See ya. I'm cool. I didn't like school. I hated school. I wasn't doing good. I, I, I kind of thought, you know, there was a Paul Simon song back then. And it said, when I think back, when I think back to all that crap I learned in high school, it's a wonder I can think at all. I believe it's the lyric. And so I went and got a job. And I got a good job. I got a job in a grocery store, and I became a retail clerk, which was part of the Teamsters Union. So after a year of apprenticeship, I was making eight bucks an hour. That's going in what would have been my senior year. I already moved. I moved out. I bought a Mach One Mustang, nice car, nice little hot rod. I moved to Belmont Shore, California, with with a view, one bedroom apartment overlooking the bay and the beach. So, but I'm still, you know, eight bucks an hour. That's you know. Pretty darn good in 1972. <clears throat> so, um, and then, you know, got married, got divorced, got married. She moved me from California to the East Coast, got divorced, um, got married again. And then, as we were talking about earlier on June 8th of 1988, I woke up that morning and said, that's it. No more. Not doing this. I'm in so much emotional and physical pain, Mike. I'm like, I can't do this. I'm not going to do this, period. And so the only real idea I had to stop it was put a bullet in your head. And because I didn't care about anything else. I just wanted the pain to stop. I'm not thinking, is there a heaven or a hell or anything? Nope. <clears throat> Nothing of that is on my mind at all. I want the pain to stop. Pull the trigger. That'll do it. Well, I married, thank goodness I married a woman with three kids. They were my stepkids. And I'm living in the basement. They're living upstairs. 
because they had to stay away from me because I was pretty volatile. And I'm thinking, man, you can't pull that trigger because when you do that, you're going to kill them too because you're going to be dead and they have to, they have to live through that. And that's wrong, man. You cannot do that to those kids. Figure out another way, pal. And so the next thought I had was, was call Alcoholics Anonymous. Another interesting point about that, I, 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 to this day, I'm like, well, where did that thought come from? I don't know anybody in AA. I'd never been to AA. I have no idea where that came from. How did Alcoholics Anonymous jump in my head? Well, bottom line, I called them. And I got a lady on the phone. And I lovingly, to this day, referred to her as Madge. And the reason for that is Madge talk like this. <laughs> she, she, she was probably smoking, you know, three packs of Paul Ball non-filters a day. And so that was her voice. Well, tell you what, man, she was in my face. Because she was asking me, drilling me questions. Are you serious? You know, because she's the gatekeeper, right? When, and what I mean by that, Mike, she's the one that says, if that guy's bad enough and he convinces me, I'll call this guy, one of the guys on duty, and they'll go pick him up and bring him to a meeting. Gotcha. So that was her job. And I must have done a pretty good job because she did that. She called a guy, a guy named Lauren, came and picked me up. Took me to an all-men's group called Stepping Stones Group of Alcoholics Anonymous in Fairfax, Virginia. And I went to four meetings that day. I went to a 1230, a 430, a 630, and an 830. And when I was there, they took a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and they opened it, and they wrote in the, in the front cover, uh, inside the front cover, that said, before you take that first drink, call one of us. <clears throat> and then they put their name and their telephone number. And they gave it to me. And sent me home. Somehow, I went home that night and I didn't take a drink. Absolute miracle. Because remember, at this point, I'm a I'm grossly addicted to alcohol, cocaine, and heroin. Mm. And I'm smoking cigarettes. So uh the next morning at eight o'clock, my phone rings. And I and I answer it, and it's John from AA. And he's like, Hey Dave, good morning. How you feeling this morning? And I'm like, how do you think I'm feeling? I want to kill somebody. And, and I might start with you, pal. And he's like, he's a really cool guy. He's like, yeah, 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 I hear you. Yeah, listen, hey, man, I know where you live. We, uh, we talked last night. Gave me your number. Listen, let me. I want to come pick you up. Let me take you to breakfast, and I'm going to take you at another AA meeting. They knew the they knew what was going on for you, having oh, for walked sure. that path. So. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. They knew. They knew how bad I was. They knew that I was, you know, to, I mean, come on. The night before, I'd already put a pistol in my mouth twice. So, yeah, John took me and took me to a meeting. And so two days turned into a week. A week turned into a month. And once I got to a month, they gave me a coin that said one month. And then one month turned into two, got another chip. Three months, got another chip. Six months, got another chip. Nine months, got another one. And then I got the one-year chip. And then as we talked about it, you know, June 8th of this year, it was, it's been 35 years. Now, here's what happened, though. During my recovery, I had insomnia, couldn't sleep. My sleep patterns were all over the place. So I'm up late one night, 3 o'clock in the morning, and guess who's on the infomercial screen? A young, enthusiastic Tony Robbins. This is in 1988. And, man, I couldn't stand this guy. 
you know, he's all motivated and I'm not right. But he did say a couple of things that caught my interest and kept me listening to it. And one of them he said was, we'll do more to avoid pain than we will to gain pleasure. And I went, whoa, that's why I drank. I was drinking to either try to avoid pain or try to gain pleasure. And then, of course, there's a point where none of that happens at all. It, it, you know, it leaves you, you know, it abandons you. It, it doesn't do anything. And then the other thing that really got me is he said, you know, the, defi- the, 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 the way we make decisions in life is, is it comes down to two things. One, we're motivated by inspiration or desperation. And I'm like, man, I'm pretty desperate. So I broke out my American Express card, called the number, ordered the program. They sent it to me. Came in a big box. It was a 30-day program. It's called Personal Power. And it came on these little white things, Mike, called cassette tapes. We don't. And, we uh, have to go to the Smithsonian to find those, don't we? Those are, they're right next to the reel-to-reels and the A-tracks. <laughs> right. right. So there I am. I plug it in, started going through the program, and I did what the man taught me to do. Mm. And it worked. Well, one of my buddies in AA, you know, hanging out with him a lot. He's like, like, as I'm going through all this, he's like, what's going on with you, man? You know, you're dude, something going on. You're changing, man. You look good. You've been working out. Uh, you've lost weight. You started a new business. I mean, you know, you're, and I like what's coming out of your mouth, your encouragement, that kind of thing. He goes, what's going on? Well, I've been listening to this guy named Tony Robbins. He goes, hey, I know who Tony Robbins is. I bought his book. It's sitting on my shelf. I never read it. Okay, well, tell you what, I'll loan you my tape program if you promise me you'll go through it. I'm not going to give it to you if you won't go through it and do what the man teaches you to do. He goes, I promise I'll do it. So I did. I loaned you my program. Well, seven years later, my phone rings. It's Dan. Hey, hey, man, did you know that Tony Robbins is coming to town? No. He goes, you want to go with me, right? Well, come on, man. You got me into this. Yeah, man, I'll go. Sure. What's the date? Yeah, I can go. He goes, great. I'll call you back. You know, he called me back an hour later. We kind of talked about this, right? Bring snacks. Going to spend a lot of time. Hydrate. Drink a lot of water. Bring a good attitude. Be ready to play full out. You just spent 700 bucks, pal. You better play full out. Oh, by the way, we're going to be doing a fire walk. <laughs> Maybe you are, but I'm not. That ain't going to happen. There is no way I'm going to do a fire walk. I'll go see Tony. Mm-hmm. You know, let, let, the, let the crazy people go do that. We'll watch them. It should be fine. Well, you get to the event, and Tony takes the stage at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And the next thing I know, Mike, it's after midnight. Mm. Ten hours in a room with Tony Robbins, right? Bring snacks or you'll starve to death. <clears throat> so the next thing I know, Tony says, take your shoes off. Oh, God. I'm like, oh, no. No, no, no. I see where you're going with this one, pal. You're not going to trick me. I'm not taking my shoes off. Well, I got a, I got a real problem. I'm in a room with 3,500 people, and guess what they're doing? They're taking their shoes off. I'm, I'm like, people, no, no, don't fall for it. Don't go towards the light. You know, it's like, and but now I got a dilemma. Everybody's taking their shoes off, but me? So I'm going to go out here in this big parking lot with my shoes on, and everybody's going to notice me? No, nah, can't do that. So I just kind of went, look, just take your shoes off. Nobody's going to know. Get out there. Go hide in the back. 
and no one's going to know. So that's my plan. Well, it gets worse. Because before Tony gets everybody going out there, he gets everybody to start clapping and chanting. 3,500 people are going, yes, yes, yes. I'm walking out there going, no, uh uh-uh, I ain't doing this. Well, it gets worse. You get out there, Tony's got African drummers, and it's intense. So it's, you know, dun, 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 dun. And and when you get out there, right, over in the corner in this giant parking lot, they built a gigantic fire. And and they it's been burning all day. They put cord, you know, I don't know how many cords of wood, but they put a bunch. And so it burns all day. Well, at the end of the night, it renders. And you've got this beautiful, giant pile of coals. It's gorgeous. Blue flame. Beautiful to see. Well, how they set this up to, to firewalk 3,500 people is they take wheelbarrows over to that pit. They load the coals in the wheelbarrow. They bring a wheelbarrow back in, and they set it in between two lanes of sod, of grass. And the sod's three feet wide, 15 to 18 feet long. And then they just take a fill-out shovel, and they sprinkle those coals on top of that grass, and that's what you walk on. Well, as you know, I'm having none of it. I'm hiding in the back. Well, here's the deal. Tony knows that the firewalk experience is one of the most powerful things any human will ever go through. He knows. He did his research. So he doesn't want people to miss out on it. So he also knows that there's people like me hiding out in the back. So what's he do? He trains people to come find you. So I'm back there minding my own business, and here comes this guy. And, and, he, and he makes eye contact with me. And once he made eye contact with me, he wouldn't take his eyes off me. And I'm pretty sure Robbins teaches him to do that, right? Don't, once you make eye contact, don't take your eyes off him. Well, he must get maybe 20 feet from me, and he stops, and he's looking at me, and he kind of twists his head, and like looking at me like a dog when he hears a funny noise, right? And he says, are you okay? <laughs> and, when and when we're not okay, what do we do? We lie. Oh, yeah, I'm good. All good here, man. Nothing to see here. Move along. And the guy goes, so, hey, man, you're going to walk tonight? And I'm like, absolutely not. And he goes, hey, man, that's cool. No problem. We don't want you to do anything you don't want to do. And, and he said, but let me ask you something. Now, bear in mind, this is a stranger. I don't know who this guy is to this day. Without him, we're not having this conversation, coach. I'm not on your podcast. Because the question he asked me was, wouldn't you at least like to watch? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's do that. Let's watch these people burn their feet off. And so he goes, well, listen, man, you can't see anything from back here. I'm 100 yards away. I got 3,000 people in front of me. I can't see a darn thing. He said, well, just get in line, and eventually you will. He's telling the truth. So, okay. So I do. I get in line. I'm standing there. I'm kind of walking along, walking along. Next thing I know, this guy comes up and he whispers in my ear. And he says, he knows when you're ready. When he says go, you go. And pew, this guy just disappeared into the night. And I'm like, what was that? What was that about? Mm. Like, it's just bizarre, right? The drums are going. And by this time, by the way, again, people are chanting. There's clapping. Yes. Yes, and the drums are dun 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 dun, dun. and then people are already walking. And when they're walking, when they get to the celebration end on the other side, they're celebrating like crazy. 
So people are screaming. I mean, it's a dog and pony show, Mike, like anything you've ever seen in your life. Well, I'm kind of walking along. And I again, I got hundreds of people in front of me. I can't see anything. But all of a sudden, I get to this one point where I can look at an angle and I can see them. They're walking on fire. And they're doing it. Every race, every creed, every color, every age. And they are walking on fire. And, and I'm in total disbelief. I'm mesmerized. I can't take my eyes off it. It's kind of like a, um, you know, an act car accident, right? Yeah. You're not supposed to look at it. You know, we look at it. We can't take our eyes. Well, that's what I'm just staring at, at these people firewalking can't, in total disbelief. And I'm walking along and walking along. All of a sudden, boom, guess where I am? Next. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Run of the line, baby. How did, I, how did I get here? And so now I'm staring at the coals, that, that fire lane, right? It's three feet wide, 18 feet long. The coals are on top of there. They're bright red, glowing. Uh, there's a wheelbarrow there. I can feel the heat coming off. And my, my heart is pounding so hard, it's about ready to jump out of my chest. Mm-hmm. I am scared to death. And there's a trainer standing there. And all of a sudden, the trainer goes, eyes up. Like, oh, geez. Oh, yeah. Okay. I guess I must have forgot. I was only in a room with Tony Robbins for 10 hours. And guess what he teaches you? 20 times over. Keep your eyes up. Don't stare at what you fear in life. Look to the other side. And so my eyes are up and the, and the trainer goes, squeeze your fist and say yes. And I went, yes. And he went, stronger. And I went, yes. <laughs> and then he could tell, man. He knew I wasn't in a peak state. He knew I was leaving a log on the table. So what's he do? He screams at the top of his lungs at me. And I threw my hands in the air and I screamed yes as loud as I could. And he goes, go, go, go. Poo. I took off. Well, here's the first thing I learned about firewalking. When you take the first step, kind of metaphorically like life, oh, you'll take the second. I absolutely guarantee you're not going to stop in the middle of that fire lane. Well, well, what, what we do is we position two people at the end of the fire lane and they're, they've got their hands locked and they catch you. And so they're like, stop, wipe your feet and celebrate. So now I'm wiping my feet and I'm starting to celebrate. And I go, oh my gosh, I've burnt myself really bad. And I, and I look at my foot and it's dirty. But there's no burns. Oh, it's my other foot. Yeah, it's dirty too. But there's no burns. And so now I just walked across coals that are a thousand degrees, and I don't have a clue how I did it. None. Right? You ever done that? Done something really cool, really awesome, and you don't know how you did it, but you're celebrating it, right? You're like, yeah. that's right. That's this guy. I did that, right? Well, that's kind of what I'm feeling. And I'll tell you what, man. I felt exhilarated. I felt like I could do anything. I mean, it was such a beautiful, wonderful feeling. I'm like, hey, where's Everest? Let's go. (laughs) You know, what's next? Well, yeah, but here's where it gets really, really super interesting. The next day. Remember, this is is a four-day event. That was day one, the night of day one. Now we're on day two. We got 3,500 people standing in the foyer getting ready to go into the venue. And I'd never seen or witnessed anything like it in my life. To this day, I've never seen it, other than a Tony Robbins seminar. 
because we had done something so special the night before as we came in together collectively, our, 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 our self-worth, our self-confidence, our self-belief had been elevated. It was kind of like a near-death experience. We're, you know, and people are, you can see it. You know, they're talking and they're laughing and they're crying and they're hugging. They're telling their stories. It's beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. What's going on with this, right? And so um, that was it, man. That that had me. That's when the firewalk kind of said, okay, uh, that was pretty life-changing. You know, what, what else can we do here in life? When, when did you discover? Because, like, when your buddy called you and said, hey, we're going, by the way, we're doing a firewalk. And you went, nope, not doing it. Not knowing what it is. Where did you discover, hey, this is what a firewalk is? Uh, once you got, once you get to the event, um, you know, as Tony's going in that 10 hour time frame, he's going through a bunch of stuff, right? He's actually got some pictures and this and that. So you start to figure out and then he starts training you, <clears throat> right? I mean, he's actually, again, when you get out there, keep your eyes up. I want you to say yes three times with total intensity, with more intensity than you've ever experienced in your life. And then when they say go, you go. And that's so is- what- as you discovered that, did you dig your feet in even harder and go, not just no, but hell no? Well, there was a couple of hell no's, and there might even have been a couple of other words used with no yeah. in my head, yes. to be fair. I can imagine. Um, <laughs> but the guy, but here, there's a couple pieces that are real important. First of all, the guy goes, here's a stranger. Doesn't know me from Adam. Wouldn't you like to watch? Yes. This guy has no idea what happened. Because of him, a guy, a perfect stranger that I don't know, I have firewalked tens, hundreds of thousands of people and changed all kinds of people's lives. And that guy did it. And he doesn't know it. Mm. Right? And so there's a really interesting lesson there. Just because you do something really nice for somebody, you may not know the effect. You may not know the repercussions of what you did, your act of kindness. And so this guy, boom, with me, again, I'm not here with you on the Living Fearless podcast, man, if it wasn't for him. So that was the first one, right? When you like to watch. Okay, yeah. Guy comes up. He knows when you're ready. When he says, go, go. Boom, gone. Now I'm up there. He knew when I was ready. He got me in a powerful state. Go. And I went. And, and later in the event, um, I got to meet one of Tony's trainers, guy by the name of Ted Macy, super guy, peach of a guy, him and his wife, Mary, uh, they're both trainers for Tony at the time. I don't, they're, they're not in the environment anymore. They, they retired years ago. And so I'm just talking to Ted, really cool guy. And we're talking about all kinds of things. And I'm, and I made a comment. I'm like, man, this must be awesome to come back and be in this environment on a regular basis. Cause you're around all this beautiful loving, you know, energy. And he said, oh yeah, absolutely it is. And he says, as a matter of fact, you see all those people standing over there with the uh, black shirts on with the pink writing? I'm like, yeah. He goes, they're volunteers, man. They're people just like you. They came to an event. It was life-changing and they come back and they volunteer. And I said, whoa, that's cool. And he said, hey man, when you get home, call Robin's research and ask them for a, uh, a volunteer crew application. And I did. They sent it to me. I filled it out. I sent it back. 
Like seven weeks later, I got a letter in the mail. It said, Dave Alvin, congratulations. You've been selected to crew with the Anthony Robbins companies in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Well, yippee ki My foot's <laughs> in the door. <clears throat> and then, you know, when you fill out the app, they're looking at, you know, who you are and what you can do and what you bring to the table. Well, number one, I had a military background and I had a security background. So guess what they chose me to help do? Take care of Tony celebrities. That was cool. That was that was awesome. And then because I lived on a farm, assumed I knew how to use tools, log splitters, could drive a tractor, these kinds of things, right? So they put me on the fire building team, which is exactly what I wanted. Um, and then I volunteered probably a half a dozen times. And when you volunteer, you pay your own way, Mike, right? You got to pay your airfare and your hotel and your food and your expenses and all that. Well, shortly after that, after that, like that sixth time I crewed, they offered me a subcontractor's position, which meant they'd pay my airfare, they'd pay my hotel, they gave me a per diem uh, to pay for my food, and then they paid you like you know two hundred dollars, you know, for the event as as compensation. And so there I was, you know, going to Tony Robbins' events and getting paid and paying paying all my expenses. So that was in like 96, 7, 8, 9. And then in 2003, this is when my life took another interesting turn, mm. phenomenal turn. That's when Tony set me down and offered me the captain's position, um, which meant that I would take over all of Tony's firewalks globally. Mm. And, and at first I said, I can't. <laughs> Tony, you, tell Tony Robbins you can't. Uh, it doesn't go over very well. I was like, that's got to be a challenge of like, why can't you? And we're going to clear this hurdle. Exactly. I mean, he was on it like that. He's like, you know, you know, can you tell me why? Sure, Tony. I homeschool my kids. Hmm. Oh, okay. We missed that. Okay. Well, what if we pay to have your family travel with us? Would that make a difference? Uh, yeah, probably could. Should. <laughs> well, it was, you know, it's funny is that there was a, uh, a woman that worked inside of Robin's research in, in, in the office in San Diego. Well, she was good friends with my wife. They had gone on a goddess retreat together. So when this was going down, she knew it. She knew Tony was going to offer me this position. So she called my wife and she said, Hey, Stacia, uh, listen, man, don't tell David I told you this. Oh my God, he'd be mad at me. But uh, Tony's, he's with Tony right now. And they're going to offer him the captain's position. So be, be expecting a phone call. Love you. Bye. Got to go. Sure enough, I'm talking to Tone. I'm like, hey, Tone, can I call my family and tell them what's going on? He goes, of course. Mm. So I call home, and my son knows what's going on. Now, he's like nine years old, and he's sitting there by the phone just waiting to answer it. Phone rings. You know, Davey's like, hello? <laughs> hey, 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 Junior, what's going on? No, not much. What's going on with you, Dad? <laughs> right? And I said, well, I just got out of a meeting with Tony Robbins and he wants me to take over as fire captain. And he wants to know if my family would like to travel with us. He's mm. like, Davey's like, you think that? <laughs> Davey's like, he goes for the kill shot, right? He's like, so dad, where's our first event? Oh, is that uh, what his Sydney question was to you? <laughs> where's our first event? That's my son. You meet he wasn't my son, subtle at all. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, so the first event was their first event was Sydney, Australia. So there you are. You're on the road with Tony Robbins. You're homeschooling your kids, and you're living this absolute magical uh, existence, right? 
And the interesting thing about all that, Mike, is that I was open to it. You know, amazing things happen, come our way all the time. The question is, are we ready? Are you ready to take on, you know, what life is ready to to give you? Um, So that was in what? Oh, three. In oh, five, we went to London and we set the world record. We firewalked 12,300 people. Now, I want to be full disclosure here. Guinness Book was not there to document. And I say a world record. Well, to my knowledge, there's no firewalk ever anywhere close to 12,300 people on this planet, other than, of course, another Tony Robbins seminar. Um, so that got done. Well, to move this forward in 2014, driving down the road, my phone rings and it's a company called Google. Well, what can I do for you? Well, are you the Dave Alvin that does the firewalks for Tony Robbins? Yeah. Well, if you're not under any contractual obligation or non-compete, we'd like to talk to you about hiring. you. Okay. Well, homeboy's a free agent, so I can do what I want. What you got going on? Well, we have 148 people that are graduating on such and such a date. We want to create a really powerful anchoring team building experience. You're the man. Well, so you're, you want to do this in the middle of the day. Yes, we do. Can't do a firewalk. Why? Because it's a safety issue. I got to be able to see the calls. Ain't going to happen. Tell you what I could do in, instead. Could do the glass walk experience. The glass walk experience. Ooh, that's <laughs> inter- interesting. Tell us about that. <laughs> right, teach you how to walk on broken glass. Oh, okay. We'll do that. <laughs> Ended up doing... Uh, doing uh, two uh, glass walks for Google. And the next thing I know, coach, I'm, I'm at NASA, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, Microsoft, Heineken, Remax, the Entrepreneur Organization, the YMCA, you know, junior high schools, high schools, every, every level of business and, 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 and scholar schools. Um, and you know, the next thing you know, you're with coach Mike on the living fearless, fearless today podcast. Right. So, um, and you know, so here we are today going, going at it. So when, Uh, when, let me jump back a bit. (laughs) I, I like just curiosity for myself. I know that this like has, you said, you know, when you're open to opportunity, things happen. Yes. You do the firewalk four days at, you know, Tony's event. How did things change for you going forward from there? Because then you follow it up with six volunteer events and then you're, you know, like elevated again. Yeah. Like how did, how did Dave change in that time? Um. Man, you're one of the first hosts that's ever asked me that, and I've been waiting for this question. Mm. Because I went from fear being forget everything and run to face everything and rise. So my perspective on fear, I had control of it. Like, no, you're not making that decision for me. You better believe it. Yeah, I am going to go out and start my own business. Yeah, I am going to continue to do what I want to do. Um, I am going to, you know, get out of a bad relationship and get in and find the girl of my dreams. So everything shifted in my head 
once I I realized that fear was was had become my jailer. Instead of it teaching me something, right? Um, it, it had become my jailer. So you so, freed yourself from that like identity prison. Big time. Absolutely. Gotcha. Um, and that's and that's it. Because the fear is there to guide you, right? You just don't want it mm-hmm. to become your jailer. Um, you know, maybe you could ask that girl to dance. Maybe you could get married. Maybe you could have kids. Maybe you can. You start thinking about, you know, what can really happen. And then I I kind of, you know, went a little further with it. It's like I started acting as if my prayers were being answered. All of them. So, you know, when you ask yourself a question like, so, you know, uh, if, if, if I knew I couldn't fail, what would I do? What would I try? If I didn't let fear stop me, what would I try? And so when you frame the question differently, you get a different answer. So, you know, we know this, right? Ask a quality question. You'll probably get a quality answer. So that's really the shift. Uh, you know, when you get when when you cross that lane on that fire lane, and you know you you feel exhilarating that exhilarating feeling. Again, your whole idea and perspective on fear shifts, yeah. and you get control of it. What was different? Because I mean, I think we most of us have either gone to or heard of somebody that goes to like a mountaintop experience. Right? It comes back. It works for a while. But then you go right back into that rut, those behaviors, the mindsets. How did you keep yourself in that peak state and elevated over the long term? Was it just like when you were in AA, you you stayed in that community, that environment? Yep. That's Ken, Tony. Tony calls it the seventh, the seventh power. Because you are. You're right. You go home, you know, life life starts coming at you. Um the interesting part about the firewalk, though, is that that's something that never goes away. You're going to continue to go, you know what? I firewalk. What else can I do? Um, and I'll give you an example. Um, so I'm on my way to Google. I'm flying. I'm on my way. And all of a sudden, this little guy jumps up on my shoulder. He goes, you're a drug addict. You're an alcoholic. You're worthless. What makes you think you're going to go do well here? You're going to screw up everything. That's going through my head. On the plane. Mm-hmm. Well, my other little guy jumped up on the other side and said, uh, Dave, um, l- l- let me remind you of something. Um, you went to London and you put on the biggest firewalk in the world with Tony Robbins. So tell that little dude to shut the hell up. And so, right, I'm having inner, inner conversations, dialogue. We all do this with myself. And and so now my little my other guy over here is more powerful than the other guy. And so I stopped allowing the lies to happen. Yes, I can do that. Yeah. Absolutely. I had already done it. So I'm not going to allow those the because you know, I am the voice. I will lead, not follow. I will believe, not doubt. And so when you start creating incantations about who you are and what you can do and you know and you level up then it, it, things start to change radically and so yes answer to your question yeah because i was around the environment there for so long that you know you're you're in it all the time which helps immensely 
which means is what I say all the time. You know, we are who we spend time with, 100%. So love your family and choose your friends. And choose wisely yes. because you will become who you spend time with. Speaking of like who you spend time with, like your children are spending time with you and you're changing and transforming because of this event and the other events you're going through. How have you seen it impact their life by the transformation that you've gone through? And I mean, you've got grandchildren now. Are they old enough that you're seeing it in them or, oh, yeah. you know, if not, are, oh. are there expectations that you already have for how it will impact them? Well, you know, my kids, um, I don't know any other way to say it, man. They're both a couple of little badasses. My son's 30. <laughs> my daughter's 27. What? Okay. And let me back up. Yeah. My daughter firewalked when she was six. My son was nine years old. <laughs> really? We're in New York. We're at an event. Tony. Tony knows they're going to walk that night. We do the fire walk. We took care of all the participants. They're standing over here in the shadows. And as soon as we were all done, Tony waved them over. And here mm. they come. Because my daughter, six years old. She walks up to the lane. Tony took her. <clears throat> Tony took her by the hand. I took her by the other hand and walked her across the fire. Six years old? Mm. Um, my son, Dave Jr. steps up, <laughs> Tony, Tony bends down to him and he goes, he looks at him and he goes, I love you. And I love your daddy. Go. <laughs> Boom. There went my son. Yeah. You can't undo that. This is, this is why I love working with children. Give them to me. Um, you know, uh, you take a kid and, and, and I've taken the firewalk coach and I've done a pretty cool thing with it. Um, you know, when Tony, it's just a firewalk, that's all it is, the, which is enough. Don't get me wrong. I'm not downplaying it. Right. But I took it to another level. So when I, when I, when a client comes to me, I tell them, look, I'm going to include the board break experience. It's a martial arts move. Hmm. And nobody's going to break a board unless they go to a dojo. And they get in martial arts because, you know, every time you get a belt and you go up, they typically have you break a board with your hand or your elbow or your knee or your foot or your heel, whatever, to go on to graduate to the next belt. So here's what I did. I took the experience and I, and I have every participant write something on front of the board they want to move towards. Then I have them write something on back of the board that they need to move away from. And then I have them write anybody's name on that board that they're in conflict with. So in other words, if forgiveness or reconciliation is part of that relationship, write their name on the board. Mm. It ends tonight. Because, you know, I'm going to, I'm teaching them, look, forgiveness is a lot more powerful than resentment. Yeah. Get that figured out now. And then here's what's really cool, though. I create the, the ancestral side of a rite of passage. And so what we do is um, I have them write anybody's name on the board that they've lost to bring that energy to the experience. Mm. So they break the board. We, we, you know, we either outside already at the firewalk or we go outside, we firewalk them and then they take their board and throw it into the fire. 
And then I make sure that they get video and pictures of that. And I have them take a picture of their board front and rear before they, you know, break it. And so they have that of the entire experience. And then the other thing that we do, and I get most of my clients to do one is get one of these. This is the, listen, these are the calls from the firewall. So I can say, I firewalk with XYZ company in 2023. And so now they get to give these out to all their participants and they get to sit there and look at it every day. And, and, and that goes back to that question that you ask, how do you keep them? You know, how do you keep that in their head? Well, that's one way you do it. Right. Um, the other thing I do at the firewalk before they leave that night, I do what's called the heart hug. And I put everybody hugging from heart to heart. You know, normally we go this way, right? Nope. Go Mm -hmm. the other way. Put your heart on top of the other person's heart. And then I have them do three cleansing breaths. So they take a nice deep diaphragmic breath and I have them hold it. So that they get a lot of oxygen into their body. And then I have them exhale. Do it again. Nice deep breath in. Deep, deep breath. Fill up your lungs. Hold it. Now, when they come into that breath number two, either when they're taking it in, inhaling, typically by the time they exhale, Mm -hmm. those two people that are hugging, their hearts start beating at the same time. They calibrate. Wow. And then I have them do one more breath. And let me tell you something, bro. That is magical. Because now I've got, you know, how many people? I don't know, 100? And they're broken down into, you know, there's 50 and 50 hugging. And now all of their hearts start beating at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's how you get people back out of dissension and arguments and, and all this nonsense that's going on in the world. Arguing about masks and vaccines. And, you know, I love Donald Trump. I hate Donald Trump. Oh, shut up already. Stop. You want to kill a company? That's how you do it. Division and divisiveness. Oh. Is what pulls everybody apart. Yeah. And look what it does to production. It's going to cost you a fortune. And you know what? Any good CEO, man or woman, knows they better fix it. Yeah. Because if they don't, it's going to show up, you know, and the shareholders are going to look at the CEO and go, probably time to fire this person. Yeah. I mean, whether it's in a corporate environment or whether it's within a family, it rots it from inside. Oh, absolutely. So, and and that's interesting because when a company can, comes to me, they come to me during three times. One, everything is great. They're kicking butt Mm. and they want to take it to the next level. Boom. Bring them to Albie. Let him do the firewalk. Um, you know, they're in the middle of the road, you know, things aren't good, but they're not bad, but they've, they've, they've stepped into that mediocrity place, which ain't good to be, as you know, boom, we fix it or everything's breaking down. The company's in trouble. And, and nobody's getting along. There's a lot of dissension and, you know, people are walking around in the company going, I hate this company. I hate a CEO. Well, you better fix it. And so when they hire me, they're like, here, Dave, here's a check. Get on stage, do your dog and pony show, man. Talk to my people, do that board break, do that firewalk, do that hard hug, fix them. So to the next day, you know, or if that's on a Friday or Saturday, Monday, when they come to work, you got a different company of people. 100% 100% guaranteed. It's a beautiful thing to do. Um, in fact, um, the last year, one of my dear friends, really incredible entrepreneur, he said, hey, man, you know, I have to say, I was having a thought. He called me and he's like, hey, man, I've had thought and I want to bounce it off you. Like, cool, what? He goes, dude, have you ever thought of starting an academy? 
where you people could come to you and you train them? And I went, well, I've kind of bounced it around. I go, why? He goes, dude, come on. You ought to think about that. Because that's a beautiful thing. How many companies could benefit from that? Yeah. And you can charge a fair price. Because if that corporation and their HR department send somebody from corporate and you spend a week with them and train them, then they can go back and do it. I mean, how much would that be worth to them? Because if they hire you, you know, it's $197 a person with a 100-person minimum. That's 20 grand plus all the expenses. Where here, they could just send somebody, you train them, they could go back and do it on a regular basis. Mm. Or... You know, maybe it's an entrepreneur or a business owner, or maybe it's a trainer or a coach, whatever. And they want to take their training and their coaching business to the next level. So I, so we did it. In fact, I've got an academy coming up uh, uh, October, this October. And I only do nine people at a time. And there's a very specific reason for that. Because the number nine is the universal number. Mm. And so that way we've got three sets of three people. And if you go look at it, it's, there's a book out there. You ought to look at it, coach. It's called okay. coach, uh, coach. It's called project 369. It'll, it'll blow your mind because of the awareness of those three numbers becomes to the forefront of your mind. So you're seeing mm-hmm. those numbers and understanding how they work. Right. Right. You got a clock, 12, three, six, nine. You've got a circle. You've got a triangle, right? So you've got. 90, 180, 270, 360. The, the, the triad, 369. Yeah. Um, um, nine, like nine times 12 is 108. Well, check this out. You take the circumference of the moon, multiply it 108 times. That's the distance from the earth to the moon. Take the sun, take the circumference, multiply it 108 times. That's the distance from the earth to the sun. Whoa. Right? <laughs> That's the pyramids. Amazing. The pyramids, Stonehenge, yeah. rosary beads, mm-hmm. 108, right? So my point is, is that there's an awareness with those numbers. So I'm just, I'm gotcha. complying with what I've learned about the universe. And that's why I bring in nine. Yeah. Because that energy of the universe is within those nine people. In fact, we had one, um, we had one, unfortunately, had to back out. Wasn't, wasn't her fault. And uh, I was on a podcast today <laughs> And the host, well, we talked about it, right? So yes, uh, he may he may be coming. We're having a we're going to have a, a a discovery call on Monday, so we may be sold out again. So, uh, but any point, I'm just saying that you know there's an awareness out there. Uh, there's things that are going on out there, and we have no idea. And so, why not just be open to everything? Um, and so, yeah, I'm. You know, did I plan this? No. Was I given a huge gift? Yeah. And when I retired from Robbins, you know what he said to me? With great wisdom comes great responsibility. Because here's what I believe, Coach. The two most important times in someone's life is the moment they're born and the moment they figure out why. And then one of my mentors says to me, and I love this, and I'll never forget this when he told me this. He said, you know, every human has two lives. And the second one starts when you realize you have only one. Oh, Say that one again, Dave. You know, my coach, my my mentor told me that every human has two lives. And the second one starts when you realize you have only one. Make the best of it. There's no there's no accident here. You're here to serve at a high high level. And Playing by that small, you mean like just, you, you mean like you're in alignment, you're not hiding and living a double life, correct? Exactly. Okay. Of course. 
Um, Dude. And, you know, and I get it. I understand addictions. And, and, and a lot of men suffer this, man, where they're, you know, they're addicted to whatever. Um, um, you know, obviously alcohol, drugs, gambling, porn. Um, um, you know, there's a lot food, whatever. Uh, one of the things people ask me all the time is like, you know, what's one, what's one really cool piece of advice. And my advice is stop negotiating with yourself, just knock it off. Because one of the things that Tony teaches that's so valuable is that everything we do is a pattern. Hmm. If we overeat, it's a pattern. If you undereat, it's a pattern. If you go to the gym, it's a pattern. If you if you do porn, it's a pattern. Understand how patterns work and then learn how to control them. Mm. Right? It's kind of like um, I heard that one time is that, you know, um, we're, you know, we're supposed to be, you know, good people and nice and meek and mild. And no, not for a man. Uh-uh. You need to be a savage absolutely a savage and just learn how to control it right you can be a nice guy and be a savage you can be a good guy a good husband good father but when it's time to rock right you got to turn into a savage yeah the problem what is that what is that better to be a, a warrior in a garden than in a gardener in a war <laughs> yeah so, the problem yeah. is when you're a savage like you talked about you know keeping keeping it in a healthy place, right? Yeah, Controlling absolutely. it. Yes. There was nothing, you know, before I healed and I was growing, there was no control over it. It was just out of control. Yeah. Absolutely. And those around me suffered. That's the difference. We can be savage, but it's, it's remaining under control until it needs to be released and yes. utilized. That's, it's like that scene in A Few Good Men, right? Jack Nicholson. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall, right? A um, yeah. little, little extreme, but still. Uh, yeah, because, you know, if, if, if something goes down in a movie theater, I'm a sheepdog. Yeah. And I know my position. And Absolutely. here's what I know. You want me in that. You want me in that theater with you. Yeah. Um, so... You know, it's life's a beautiful thing, man. It just, it really is. And, and everything we really do in life, you know, is, is we create a story. Everything that's good, bad, whatever. We create a story about all of it. So create a masterpiece. I say all the time, you want to change your life? Change your story. And, and, you know, Viktor Frankl taught us that. Right. In, in, in his book. Um, so man search for meaning. There he is. He's an Auschwitz man. They took everything from him. They, they, they killed his family. They strip you naked. You stand there naked, no food, nothing. People go into the oven that day. They take everything from you except your attitude. You get to decide. If you, you know, and that's, and, and how did, how did Franco get out of Auschwitz? Keeping he his says, head about him. He said, somebody has to tell this story. And that yeah. was what it took. Yeah. I, you know, when I do my, when I do my events coach, I, I put a picture uh, on behind me on a screen and it's uh, Eric Weyenmeyer and he's standing at the top of Everest. Right. And so mm -hmm. I'll be talking for like a half an hour and I'll say, Hey, who here can tell me where uh, my buddy Eric's standing? 
Uh, Mount Everest. That's correct. Let me tell you something else about Eric. He's climbed the seven highest mountains on seven continents, and he summited every single one of them. Put that boy on a on a mountain bike, he will tear it up. Mm. Put him in a kayak, and he can probably negotiate just about any river on the planet. But here's something you need to know about Eric. He's blind. So guess what, boys and girls? I don't want to hear it. If you don't have something in your life, you're making up a story of why you can't have it. If a blind man can climb the seven highest mountains on earth, then I'm pretty sure you can have and do what you want. So, you know, <laughs> I look, and I do it. I mess with people. I want to. I want, I want them to never forget that that guy right there climbed the seven highest mountains on the planet, and he did it blind. So, if, right? if we're not messed with, though, Dave, we stay in a place of mediocrity. Yep. We continue to repeat the patterns that we've learned and, and been repeating up until that point, and we'll continue on. So, we need people to mess with us and guide us to a different place. And, uh, man, Dave, I, I want to say thank you for coming and sharing your story. It just like the transformation, the, the difference between where you started and kind of where you were led into, especially at like 11 and how that progressed. And then just making those decisions and being open to here, what opportunities are there and how do I take advantage of them? And you've changed your family tree completely. And, uh, I mean, that just shows that we as men can do that regardless of where we're at and what we've experienced. So it's like, there is always that opportunity open to us if we'll only see it and then take, you know, take that opportunity and go after it. So Dave, I thank you again. How can men connect with you outside of this podcast? How can they get to you and go like, Hey Dave, I want to do a fire walk or what's, you know, what you're doing is just super inspiring. Come on. How do I get more, more of you? Sure. Let's, you know, I had a lot of help. I had a lot of men that helped me and without them, I wouldn't have made it. And so, you know, one of the, one of the, one, the creed in AA is it says that when anyone anywhere reaches out, I want the hand of AA to be there. And for that, I am responsible. And I take that to heart. So you, you got something going on out there. You, you're on, you're on coach Mike's podcast and you want to chat with me. Just go to my website, man. Everything's there. How to get all of me. Uh, it's firewalkadventures.com. Literally, just firewalkadventures, one word, adventures with an S, plural, dot com. Uh, my calendar's there. My email's there. It's all there. Let's uh, let's chat. Let's meet. Appreciate it, Dave. Thank you so much, my friend. I'm grateful for you. Thanks, Coach. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.